Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Okay, the first thing that we see is we look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Again, I tell you every week, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, uh, but if you have a translation you like, uh, that is fine, or you can follow along on the outline. Uh, so, starting with verse 13, it says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at these few verses, I want to make a few comments. Number one, we see that we need to be, when he says, be careful how you live, uh, there is a phrase that I picked up somewhere, whether it be from somebody that was in the military or a movie about military or something, but, but there is this saying that says, keep your head on a swivel. Now, you may not have heard that before, but the term keep your head on a swivel is a term used by many who protect our country and our communities. Anyone who has a role in helping others in some type of risky environment understands this term. What does it mean to keep your head on a swivel? That basically means to remain vigilant of one's surroundings. In other words, uh, as some would say, keep your spidey senses uh, uh, attuned to what's around you. Know, Know what's going around you, what's coming at you and where you're going. Don't get tunnel vision. That's one of the worst things that can happen to us, whether it be in an emergency situation or even just in life. If we just get fixed on on one thing other than God, and it takes our mind off the prize, we are liable to drift further than we ever thought we could. But keep looking around you and use your peripheral vision. I think the difference would be if you're walking down your neighborhood street with your kids or your pet or just by yourself or a friend, you're just walking and looking for traffic. But you take that those same people, that same situation, but you walk in the middle of a city that you've never been in or in some type of environment where you've never been, you are going to be more alert to the things that are around you. And so what Paul is saying to Christians is, is that don't just walk through life like you're taking a neighborhood stroll through your neighborhood. He's saying, be, be, be on the guard because you are in a place that's wanting to get you. Okay? Most everyone has felt the rush of, of your senses going into overload due to some type of tense situation. We'll talk more about this kind of oppression and danger in chapter 6. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we are at war with evil spirits and principalities. This is not some kind of boogie-boogie, scare-you kind of tactic. It's the truth. It's a spiritual realm. And again, Paul will talk about that more in our time when we go to chapter 6. But the thing is, is that we need to know that we need to be active and growing in our faith and taking this battle seriously. The battle for your minds, the battle for your hearts, the battle for your marriages, 
the battle for your families, the battle for our church, the battle for the community, the battle for those that don't even have voices. It's it's serious, and we are in the middle of it. So he says, whatever you do, be on the lookout. Keep your head on the swivel and understand that this is not a game, but this is real. Number two, he says, don't live like fools. Now, this is pretty simple and doesn't need a lot of explaining, does it? <laughs> the Internet is filled with videos of people doing foolish things, right? But some in the day of when Paul was writing this would follow pagan gods. And their worship consisted literally of going to their worship services, getting drunk, and partying, and doing all the things that you know that you really shouldn't be doing, but they were slapping the title worship on it. Now, you can do lascivious and crazy and out-of-control things and slap the label of worship on it. It don't make it worship. Um, that's terrible English. It doesn't make it worship. But the truth of the matter is, to to some, that would seem like the life. You know, just partying and, and being with your friends and drinking. I hear people sometimes say, look, I, you know, hell's going to be a party and we're all just going to sit around. And we're just going to, um, you know, we're not going to be a bunch of stick in the mud Christians in heaven. We're going to be just living up. But boy, you have, if you're saying that or you think that, you really have no idea what Scripture really says about that. Don't be foolish, folks. There is a storm coming. To some, partying and, and being drunk would, would seem like the life. But for those of you that have lived that life and come out of it, you know how empty that is and how much that can cost you and those you love. And folks, again, there is a storm coming. So what Paul is telling us as believers is don't spend our energy on throwing the best party possible and not prepare your family and your home and your church, and most importantly yourself, to weather the storm that's coming. So so don't be foolish and don't live like fools. And the second thing, or the third thing we see is that make the most of every opportunity. Folks, the bottom line is, is that we all are given the same 24 hours in a day. I've said it, you've said it, boy, i got to manage my time better, or where has all the time gone, or I don't have enough time to do the things I want. Folks, we all get the same time. But when Paul is writing about a time here, he's not talking about priorities. He's not talking about the, the moving of the hands on the clock. The time that he's talking about here is when he says make the most of every opportunity in this time, He's not being a time management guru. He's saying that, look, it's kind of like the days that we're living in. You ever heard, like, the stories? Um, I, there's some novel or some I don't know, remember which one it is, but it says it was the best and the worst of times. By times, he's talking about these days. You know, when you sit around, you talk with your family and friends, oh, these days are terrible. We've never seen it. We've never had it this bad. Truth of the matter is, it's always been bad. It's just now out in the forefront, like uh, like none before. But the bottom line is, we do what is important to us. And this is important to remember. But the time Paul is referencing here is the days we are living in. And Paul is warning believers that being drunk and partying and allowing substances, anything, to gain control of your body is a waste of time. We can either commiserate and complain about how bad these days are 
and how crazy people are acting. Or we can harness the opportunity in these days to the best of our ability to allow Christ to make himself known through the way we live our daily lives. Because Paul says here, these days are evil. And again, we'll go more into this in chapter 6. But it doesn't take any believer too long to understand that these days are wicked. I mean, you see that in your social media feeds. You see that on your television programs. You see that in however you get news. Is that we are living in a messed up society. And Paul is warning believers like you and I that there is a urgency today of living out our faith. Uh, can, can any of you not watch the news again and tell me that the urgency for God's people to do something is not now? Do not water down your faith just to blend in, my friends, but be strong, be bold, and shine the light this dark world needs. When he talks about verses 18 and 19, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Again, he says, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing praises, psalms, and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, I know a lot of people, when when you read this passage, Everybody kind of just zeroes in on the the drinking and is it a sin to drink? Is it not a sin to drink? But but what Paul is getting at here is not as much the the drinking as more as it is anything that you allow in your life to control you, to put you in the back seat, and to and to cause you to make choices that are detrimental to not only your spiritual life but your physical life as well. So what he's telling the Christians here, again, this was the church to the Christians in Ephesus. He's saying, look, don't fill yourselves with alcohol and other substances to make you feel like you're alive, but instead fill your life with the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you will sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs among yourselves. The truth is, to be honest with you, we're all filled with something. And our feeling is, whatever is inside of us is revealed in our actions when we are tested, much like squeezing a sponge. Whatever it absorbs, when it's being squeezed, it gives it back. Notice Paul didn't say be filled or drunk with wine, but to to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, you cannot manufacture a filling. You cannot, you cannot make you, this hole that God has placed in your heart and mind cannot be filled with anything less than Jesus. So it's not like if you remember the old cartoon character Popeye, where he'd pop a can of spinach, he would eat the spinach, and then he would get his super strength and get out of whatever situation that he was in. The Holy Spirit is not a, a can of spinach or some kind of lucky charm or some kind of mantra that you can chant. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that occurs naturally because it's already in there. The Holy Spirit is within you, believer. And the only thing keeping you from understanding the power of that is your, in, in not inability, but unwillingness to obey it and to, to surrender yourself to let the Holy Spirit take control of your lives. As a believer, the Holy Spirit is within you. The question is, will you lean into it? Ignore it or grieve it. Yes, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means is that when you are a Christian and you are doing the things you know you're not supposed to do, there's a term called carnal Christian. 
A carnal Christian is someone who claims to be a Christian, but yet they are giving in to their physical and sinful desires and, and have no no plan at the moment of repenting from that. And uh, that's a dangerous place to be. Because, my friend, I would tell you this. If, if you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life and you consider yourself a Christian, you need to reevaluate that, that decision. Because of that decision to follow Christ has not changed your outlook, has not changed your behavior, has not changed your desires, then you really need to ask yourself between you and God and maybe somebody spiritually sensitive to, to biblical matters that are you really saved or not? Because saved people have the Holy Spirit within them. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul lists, here are some proofs that you can look for. You can sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs among yourselves and make music to the Lord. Now, when, when I hear that, I think of the, the people I've heard before that say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that, that, that's true, but how are you going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and make music in the Lord's hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, that is what church is, a place to come together and let the Holy Spirit outpour what he's doing inside of your heart. So now that Paul has shown the believers the bar that, that we need to live up to, now he gives some practical examples. And here we go. Let me take a drink of water first. Ephesians five twenty one through 29. Let's read that. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And before we get into this, I would say, I, I highlighted for me, when it says, and further submit to one another, that is key, and out of reverence for Christ. To one another and reverence for Christ is what I'm going to drill down on this morning. This passage has taken a beating in recent years due to everyone thinking that this is a license for the man to dominate the woman and that she should be seen but not heard. That is not a correct translation of this passage. And if you know me and you know Donna, that, that is not the way that she is treated or should be treated or would tolerate being treated. Submission is not devaluing yourself or even another person. Submission means loving your spouse enough to put them first before yourself. You see, we submit to one another because of our love for Jesus. But ultimately, we will answer to God for how we treat others, especially those closest to us. Submission here literally means to be under rank. It's in our military. It's a military word. It speaks of the way an army is organized among levels of rank. You have generals and colonels and majors and captains and sergeants and privates. There are levels of rank that you are obligated to respect in a higher rank, just like myself. I am part of a fire department. We have officers. We have people that are in charge. So it would it would be in my interest if I want to stay in a good standing in that organization is to follow what they say, to submit to their judgment and to submit to their leadership. And we see that not only in um, our jobs with bosses and titles. We see this in organizations like fire departments and, and other things. We see this 
in families. And this is what Paul is talking about here. We submit to one another out of our love for Jesus Christ. And the idea of submission doesn't have anything to do with someone being smarter or better or more talented than you. It has to do with a God-appointed order. Anyone who has served in the armed forces knows that rank has to do with order and authority, but not with the value or ability. So as Paul lays out this structure, he is not saying that one person is more important than the other. Someone has to be held accountable, though. And ultimately, in God's order of marriage, I'm sorry, guys, but it's the husband. Every system and organization needs to have a clear pattern of leadership. Without it, confusion and inefficiency prevails. The husband may be the primary decision maker. Or in some homes, the wife may be the decision maker and the shot caller. But at the end of the day, they must submit to one another and make decisions together that shows their love and respect for one another. Look, for the, the husband to be the point man doesn't mean he has to do everything. It means that he needs to do all that he can to make his family successful. Let's see what he means here in verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body in the church. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked with couples that are wanting to get married or have been married and I, I read this and I can just I can just see the tenseness especially in the wife or the fiance's you know the hair on the back of their necks probably standing straight up but again we got to understand the meaning of this as we deep hold off on your on your angst here for just a minute as we deep as we dive deeper into this as for the church submits to Christ so you wives so I'll get it out in a minute. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And too many people say, Amen. Sermon's over. God said it. That settles it. But boy, have you missed the greater, uh, the greater arc or the greater point in this passage. Too many stop here and miss the overall purpose of Paul writing this. It's not just about wives submitting. Submission does not mean being silent and homely and being a pushover either. Actually, submission, if you submit, submission is an act of love and respect and strength. Submission is an act of love and a sign of strength. And now let's go to the rest of this verse to make sure that we balance it out. Because it moves to the husband's next. And it says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now the guy's like, hey, all right, I got it. I can do that. I'll, I'll send flowers. I'll take her out to eat. I'll, I'll do something special for her every now and then. And, and I'm good, you know. But the truth of the matter is, it says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And here's where it gets tough. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Some translations say washed with the water of God's word. He did this to present her 
to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Men, don't call your wife an old lady. Yeah, I'm going to go talk to the old lady before we go do something. Or, yeah, i got to go check in with the ball and chain. to make. Do not do that. Women, your husband is not the old man. He's your husband. She's your wife. And it says here that the husband should love his wife. It actually shows love for himself. And no one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. So here we go. Submission means laying down your life for one another just as Christ laid down his life for you. Now, I know many men that will hear this uh, would say just the same thing as I would. You know, someone say, would, would you take a bullet for your for your wife or your family? And, of course, we would probably say, yes, of course we would. I would die for my family. I would. I would die for Donna if I needed to. But here's the thing, is that we probably are not going to be put in that position some may, but statistically that, that likelihood is very low. But dying for your wife or dying for your husband is not just an act, of, a physical act, but it is an act of the will. In other words, that means, husband, you need to be able to say, no, I won't do this thing because it would be better for my wife if I do that thing. Because it's not about what I want, but it's that what I can do to make her all that God has made her to be. You see, wives, it means the same for you. If your husband, by submitting to the leadership of Holy Spirit, puts you first, then you're going to want to do the same thing for him. Like Adam and Eve serving one another in the garden, submission can be a beautiful act of love. I would like to tell you that, that I, as a pastor, and as a husband, have always had this together. But folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, marriage is not like you see in a movie. I mean, there are good days, there are bad days, there are ultimate highs and there are lows. But at the end of the day, I can tell you, at least in, in, in for our relationship, and if Donna wants to chime in on the comments, she can. But when we got to the point to where we really realized that even as Christians, we were we were letting selfishness sneak into our relationship, uh, and it 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 was tough. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you it was tough. But by God's grace and by His Word and by great counsel, we understood the fact that if we try to serve one another, it brings the whole relationship up to another level, and. Uh, it's been so much sweeter. It's been so much greater now that God led us in to that new truth. And it doesn't mean that we're trying to please the other person, but we are trying to lead them. And so, husbands, do all that you can to make her all that God has created her to be. Submit to God. And by submitting to God, you are building up your wife and your family. Wives, by loving God, you are supporting your husband and doing whatever God has called you all to do as a family. And again, that doesn't mean 
that the wife stays at home, cooks and cleans and keeps the kids, and the husband goes off to work, and then he comes home at five, and you've got the slippers ready, the kids bathed and dressed, and the and the five course meal at the table. Now it's not it's not like a Leave It to Beaver scene that uh, used to be on that television show. In some houses, many houses, the husband works, the wife works, the kids are taken care of by family or daycares, and they come together. Then you try to grab a couple minutes together as a family. Then you try to grab a couple minutes of silence to yourself. And then you try to grab a couple hours of sleep. Look, I understand that. But the truth of the matter is, is that in this rat race we call life, are you taking time out to hold each other accountable, to love one another, and to make sure that the Lord is working in their lives? And I think one great way to do that is to have your family in church. And I know in many cases, it's the mama, it's the wife that goes to church first. Boy, what would happen if the men of our world, the Christians, the, the, the God-fearing men, were to stand up and say, I'm going to pastor and I'm going to lead my wife and my family. That's what submission is about. It's not about getting what you want. It's about making others stronger. It's about making others all that God has called them to be. Well, submission is impossible, though, in our own flesh and strength. And this is why Paul instructs us to yield to the Holy Spirit. And so then he says in verses 30 through 33, Holy Spirit marriages are an illustration for God's plan for the church. Starting in verse 30. Excuse me while I get a quick drink. Thank you. And we are members of his body, starting in verse 30. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Everybody says, oh, they said that at my wedding. Or, oh, I can't wait for somebody to say that at my wedding. Or, yeah, I, I remember that in the wedding. He says, this is a great mystery, but it's all an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So if you want to know what the definition of submission in marriage is, Paul has just given it to you in verse 33. So if you choke on the word submit or submission, understand it means that the man loves his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Any person with any bit of sense would know in a relationship and in a marriage for it to work, that's what is needed. Because when it becomes about you rather than the other person, that's where you run into troubles. And he said here, one body means you will no longer be the same apart. When we are one body, it means you will no longer be the same apart. You know, I ask couples that are either getting married or have been married, is your spouse 100% of the person God has for you? Now, if they're getting ready to be married, immediately they just look at each other and they get googly-eyed and they say, of course, they're 100% of what I've been looking for. They, God has sent them to me. It is so sweet. No one has ever said, nah, like about 80%, but the best of odds I, I could get. They all say 100%. Now, if they've been married for a while, some of them may sit there and think for a second. But ultimately, they'll say, yeah, that, that's who, this, this person is who God wanted me to marry. 
And the thing is, is that if that person is 100% of what of who God has for you to get married, that means anyone else that you meet will be less than 100%. Remember that when the marriage gets tough and there are other voices and other people looking for your attention and your affection. They are not 100%. Why would you trade 100% of anything for anything less? You see, because what... The, the passage is saying here is that when, when you look at marriage, the bonds of marriage make the two into one. This is not just a word picture of the physical act of the two becoming one. It is a joining of the wills and the souls and the spirits. You see, many couples and choose to live together first. But where is the commitment and submission to one another in that? I have a habit of when couples come to me and they want to get married, if they've been living together, I, I always ask them. And even if they haven't been living together, I ask them, so if you're together and you're living together, why get married? I mean, you're, 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 living, you're living the life of a married couple. You're just not married. And nine times out of ten, it comes down to they want to show their commitment and love to one another. Marriage is commitment. Marriage is saying, look, I'm not, I'm not renting this house. I'm buying it. <laughs> Marriage is, look, I'm burning the ships and we're stuck on this island together. And the two become one. I use this illustration all the time about peanut butter and jelly because it works. Once you mix peanut butter and jelly together, you will never get them back as separated again. And that's by God's design. God knew that it was not good for the man to be alone, so he made a helper for them so that the two could be stronger together than as individuals. Now, just a few other applications to that I want to say real quick. Even though a couple marries in the will of God, you know, you, the preacher asked them, oh, do you feel like you're in the will of God to marry this person? Oh, yes, preacher. We know that God has brought us together for such a time as this. But what about five years from then, six years from then, seven, ten, twenty, thirty years from then? Look, if you if you believe that you are in the will of God when you get married, you must stay in the will of God by continuing to do what Paul has just laid out before us. You need to stay in the will of God if you hope to have the marriage and the family and the home God wants for you. Many who have gone through divorce or the death of a spouse know this concept to be true because whether you are with that spouse or not, they have forever changed the way you look at the world. Some for the better and some for the worse. Some are what Paul calls blessed to be single. There are some people that are not married. They will never get married. They don't want to be married. And hey, Paul calls that, look, if that's you, that's a gift. Marriage doesn't make you a better person. Your value is in Christ. That is where your value is found. So whether you are married or single or divorced or widowed or, or whatever it may be, whatever your status is, your blessing and, and you are defined not by your marital status, but you were defined by the God who created you and he loves you. And then we see, as 
Paul spoke to marriage as an illustration to the world that the church should be one. Why do we even have marriages in today's world? Well, because it was a great, it is a great illustration of what God's plan is for our redemption. You see, marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The Bible calls Christ the groom. We are the church or the bride of Christ. And so as these days grow more evil and as the church is persecuted and as Christians continue to grow under harder situations and as we reach out to this world to increase the number of people that know Jesus Christ, we are prepared. It's just like that bride that takes, they start at seven o'clock in the morning with all of their bridesmaids and they, they get hair done, they get makeup done, they get the petties and the manies and all these other, I guess, I've never been in a bridal thing, but, but as a pastor marrying them, I kind of see them coming in and out. I, I bet it's kind of crazy, but it's, it's all day preparing for that few moments. And folks, uh, we are to be preparing now because one day Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, is going to return and call the church, his bride, to come by his side and to be with him forever. And marriage is an illustration of that. If there was ever an illustration that shows the need for unity and to be one, it is that of marriage. Marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Creation shows us that a husband and wife must be one. And Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. So as, as I wrap our time up today, Holy Spirit living leads us to submit to those we love. Let me say that one more time. Holy Spirit living leads us to submit. There's that word. Holy Spirit living leads us to submit to the ones that we love. Let me just make this perfectly clear. If you haven't heard anything else I've said in this broadcast. Submission is not being weak. Can you repeat that with me? Submission is not being weak. Come on, you need to do it. I saw you weren't doing it. Repeat this after me. Submission is not being weak. Submission is not being weak. How do I know that? Because Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, God's Son, humbled himself. Humbled himself. Yes, he submitted himself to the cross for your sins and mine. Jesus Christ submitted to the will of his Father. And it doesn't get any stronger than Jesus Christ. So if Jesus, as God himself, has submitted to come on this earth and to wear this skin and to, to know what it's like to live a human life and submit to that and, and forego his glory, forego his armies of angels and forego his power to come and walk among this earth so that we could see God more clearly. If he is submit, if he is submitting and that is the picture of submission, I think our culture has it all wrong. Submission is not being weak. Submission is showing love and respect for those that are in our lives. 
And this submission, that type of submission that Jesus did, is only possible, believer, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Because there are going to be days where you'll say, my husband's an idiot. I'm sure Donna says that about me all the time. Not to me, but to herself. What is he thinking? What is he doing? And and sometimes there's husbands saying, she has no clue. She doesn't understand. I know what we need to do. She has no clue. So rather than submit to one another, or if nothing else, talk to one another about it, you tend to try to hit buttons. You know, I know if I say this, I'm going to get a rise out of them. Or you tend to pout. Or you tend to get mad. Or you tend to withdraw. All of these things are not submission, and they are killing your relationships. Submission is not being weak. The only way to do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way to have the Holy Spirit is to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of your life. Because if the Holy Spirit is in you, it will change the way you treat others. So my friends, as we close our time together this morning, my prayer for you is that you will find the joy of submission. Fill your life and your marriage and your family with God's word. Because when you do that, when, when you saturate your life and your family's life with God's word, you will find the joy and the thankfulness and the love of submission to Christ and to one another. Nowhere in the scripture does it mean submit means losing yourself. Husbands, submitting to your wife does not mean that you lose all sense of self and you become a pushover. It doesn't mean wives that you take advantage of that. It means that as the husband submits to the wife as Christ submitted to God. And the wife submits to the husband. Together you are working not for what each one of you wants as individuals. But what you all can do together. My friends, families are coming under attack more than ever. Relationships and marriages are on the firing line every single day. So fill your life with God's word. Be thankful that he has given you someone that you can submit to, that loves you and wants you to become all that he, he has created you to be. Do you need to submit to the Holy Spirit's prompting of your heart? Because if you want this to happen, if you want this beautiful act of submission to be part of your life and in your marriage and in your family, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my friend, if you would, everybody just bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'm going to pray a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm not sure if I have the Holy Spirit within me. I pray right now, Lord, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your Spirit will be within me and give me the power to live like the Scripture is calling to live. That this power, that your Holy Spirit power will help me to be able to submit to my husband or submit to my wife out of reverence and fear and love for you. Not to be a pushover, but to lead them to be all that you want them to be. Meaning that sometimes my needs take a backseat for the betterment of theirs. And I can't do that alone. God, I need you to do that. I need your spirit. So I, I pray, Lord, for you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. 
I confess them. I repent from them. May you come into my life and make me new. And may your spirit indwell within me. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. My dear friends, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe the the 50th time, but if you are unsure or were unsure before that prayer that the Holy Spirit was in you and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you prayed that prayer and Jesus Christ saved you from yourself, forgave you of your sins, and has become the Lord of your life, and now you have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you, please tell somebody. Don't let this decision go lightly and something that you will forget about lately. You can message me through here, through Facebook. You can call the church office. If you made that decision, you need to make it known and follow through with baptism. That's the scripture. That's that's acts of obedience. And that can happen here, right? Even on a Facebook live stream. But maybe you're a believer and you just said, no, pastor, I, I, I just know that I need some work. Please pray for me. I will do that as well. Please, if if anything touched a nerve or, or something you want to discuss, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you about that. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me um, check in on a few folks here. Um, I've said hey to Molly. She said there's a praise hands. Okay. Praise hands. I got that. I'll have to remember that. Miss Bobby, it's so good to see you. You and Patsy, I bet y'all are getting into trouble today, aren't you? And Dot, hey Dot, it's so good to see you. I hope you're feeling okay. And our brother Jack, thank you so much for watching. All right. That concludes our time together. Again, if you have any questions, comments, or needs, please reach out to me. You've got my, my cell phone number or you can leave a message here. It only goes to me. Um, and I'll be glad to, uh, to follow up with you on that. But God, thank you for our service today. May you go before us and help us to have lives of submission that will honor you and build up our families. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.